96-7W, classified top secret subject is... Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Lovely listeners, and welcome to what we are hoping is going to be another epic run of episodes of Hey Kids Comics. Mm, epic. 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 Not Epic Comics, which was an imprint of Marvel in the 80s. Was it? Yes. Yeah. Where they did the edgy stuff. Kind of like Vertigo, only without the swearing and the naked women. So a bit purer. It was alright. I'm oh, sure there were some good epic titles. Running a blank on any <laughs> what they were at this point. Could you name any epic titles? Um, um, the Last Galactus Story. Was that an epic title? I don't know. I can't remember. Epic comics? Epic adventures? N- no, that, that, may, that sounds vaguely familiar. Was it Strange Adventures? Anyway, because it's not what we're talking about. It is now. I'm your co-host, Andrew Leyland. You, you, you co-host, And this you? is my other co-host oh, right. and son... Michael Leyland. Well done. Yes. I remember my own name. Congratulations. And today we are starting our coverage of what was, in my humble opinion, a thoroughly successful and entertaining crossover that had, at least in the short term, major ramifications for the character. Batman Nightfall. Let me tell you a few things about Gotham City. It has a population of 7.5 million. It boasts the tallest example of neo-Gothic architecture in North America, which you're suspended from, by the way. It has the largest percentage of sociopathic criminals in any metropolitan conurbation, so you're strictly small fry. And it's got me. Now, I know what you're thinking. And you're right. And you're right. But, Andrew, didn't you say that it was going to be a different show for a few weeks? Well, yes, I did. And, Andrew... Didn't you say that you were going to just pick random comics for a few weeks because you were busy with work? But yes, that, that, that's true. But, Andrew, didn't you say that doing epic shows was, was quite difficult in preparation and post-production? Yes, yes, yes. I said all of that. And I was right. But we just got a hankering to do something big again, didn't we? Big. Yes, we only decided to do this two minutes before we recorded last week's episode. Uh, as we mentioned last week, doing random issues, it's, it's more work. Because you never know what you're going to do from one week to another. And you spend half that week deciding what you're going to do. And then you've still got to do your notes. And then you read it and you think, well, I don't really have a lot to say about this one. And you change your mind. This way, we are going to do something that, let's be honest, is a response to some of the most critically acclaimed episodes we've had. Mm-hmm. The Star Wars Epic Six-Weeker. Blackest Night Epic Trilogy. Mm-hmm. We are going to cover Nightfall. So wait, wait. So yes. you've gone against something you said you'd do. Yes. So just like alphabetizing your comics, you've... I alphabetized my comics. I didn't go back on that. What are you talking about? Where's All-Star Superman? Under S. Where's All-Star Batman? Under A. 
I made a mistake. It's tiny, tiny, small, tiny little mistake. Anyway, um, we've not yet decided if we're going to follow this up with Night's Quest and Night's End. I say we should. Well, see, if we do that, we just turn into a Batman podcast for the next 48 weeks. This is going to take us six weeks. Well, for the 48 weeks after that, I don't know, we do Preacher. Well, I'm not doing an interview with Preacher every week. I'm here, do you never know? Do three of them. Oh, possibly. Anyway, before we get into all of that, we've had feedback again. Yes, from Michael Bailey. Hello, Michael. We talked about DC Geography. Did we? Yeah. Well, yes, I do believe I'll look this Fun up. Fun about yeah. DC Geography, according to Michael. Right. Metropolis is in New York. What? Or at least that is what was listed in the Countdown to Infinite Crisis I number one. Was... Ah, ha! That came from one of your beloved crisis titles. Ha <laughs> ha! So you can't argue with it. I looked at the same map that is in that. <laughs> See that paragraph though? Yes. He mentions the map, right? We're Where it map. is in New York, I have no idea. But I looked up that map and it was near Minneapolis or whatever. Coast City? Is on the west coast in California. Yeah, I knew that. Is that right? I knew that. Okay, okay. According to the DC Atlas... That's where I looked, where it said it was in Minneapolis. From the Mayfair DC role-playing game in the 80s... Oh, no, I don't look at that. Metropolis is either in Delaware or Rhode Island. Gotham is in, New south, Jersey. Is in southern New Jersey. New Jersey, I knew it. makes sense. Yep, yep. Apparently. Okay. So Metropolis has changed positions. Yeah. Right, so you're both right then. Except Michael yeah. Bailey's more right than you because he was right twice. But, but, but what? You sound like a motorboat. <laughs> but, 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 motorboat. Michael continues, Before Crisis on Infinite Earth, Smallville was not in Kansas. It was in the same state as Metropolis and only a hop, skip and a jump from that city. Smallville being in Kansas is actually an invention of Superman the movie, which Byrne carried over. So Smallville actually got it right. Okay. Usually... I agree with Michael. Now, oh, come on, I know he's lying there. He doesn't agree with you at all. He agrees with me. Everyone loves me. I don't agree with I that at right all. all the time. You're wrong. Uh, but he loved Kenneth Branagh as much to do about nothing, but that's because he fancied Emma Thompson, no. which is fair enough, I suppose. Uh, he thinks Red Hulk was brilliant, which it was, let's be honest. Anyway, this last paragraph we want to talk about. Yeah. These three episodes, our Blackest Night episodes, oh, were right, pretty right. epic. Yes. Only as far as we started Nightfall. I think this is going to out epic epic. Only in size, not in quality. No, I think in quality. Because mm. this is a better story. Really? I'm glad you guys Ooh. took the time to not only cover the main series, but the Green Lantern issues as well. Because of this episode, I went ahead and tracked down the GL issues I didn't have to own and read through. Should we not get a cut from DC for that? For, for advertising the book yeah. for them? My mind has changed slightly on Blackest Night. On the one hand, it is excessively violent, unnecessarily violent in a lot of places. <laughs> but it's fun. And I think it went for show value over good storytelling. I also agree with Andrew, see? I'm going to highlight that bit. <laughs> that it would have been better to put more of the material from Green Lantern into the main book. It was also extremely repetitive. Okay, now we know how to beat these Black Lanterns. Wait, wait, that didn't work. Alright, now we know how to beat these Black Lanterns. D -d 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 no, wait, that didn't work either. Hey, Sinestra is the White Lantern! That solves all of our problems! Oh, wait, no, it doesn't. On the other hand, as a big-budget summer blockbuster of a crossover, I think it succeeded, and there were a few cool moments. I have to confess, I did Black as Night because you wanted to do it, because I'd made you sit through six weeks of Star Wars. 
because I wanted to do Star Wars. Yeah. And I ended up enjoying it a lot more than I thought I did. But See, that is actually quite a valid criticism. There was an awful lot of, which we didn't actually notice at the time, but it's mm. true. There was an awful lot of, now we know how to win them and backtracking on that. And now we know how to beat them and then backtracking on that. And it was kind of like, he, he decided it was going to be four issues and somebody said, no, no, we want six. And then he said, all right, we'll do it in six issues. No, no, we want it to be eight. And he went, oh, bugger. And just carried on from there. Sure. But anyway, we love Michael's emails. Send more. In fact, we're, we're, putting, we're throwing it out there, aren't we? Are we? We want you, our lovely listening audience, to decide whether we do Night's Quest or Night's End. Because we know. We, we see the download figures. We know we have listeners in China and Australia and South America and all over America and all over England and Europe. So we want to hear from them. Do you want us to do Night's Quest and Night's End when we finish Nightfall? Why don't we just decide for ourselves? I'm sure that'll be easier. It probably will be. But we'll see how we go. We may be Batmaned out by the time we get through this. Fair enough. Okay. Anyway, we didn't have any other... I don't think I've ever actually been Batmaned out. Fair enough. Depends who the writer is. After Batman and Robin, ask your mum, the only film I have just sunk lower and lower and lower in the chair to the point where I have actually wanted to get up and leave... Anyway, let us continue with our epic coverage of Nightfall. Nightfall was an epic story running through all the Bat books starting at the back end of 1992 and was essentially a trilogy of storylines with preludes and epilogues starting with Nightfall and continuing into Night's Quest and Night's End. Nightfall was a phenomenal success by the standards of the day. It crossed over into all the Batman titles being published at that time, Batman, Detective Comics, Shadow of the Bat and Legends of the Dark Knight, as well as ancillary books like Showcase, Robin, Catwoman and others. It ran for over a year, publishing time, taking in 69 issues. And that's the only ones relating directly to Nightfall, Night Quest and Night's End. It spawned a radio adaptation from the BBC and a New York Times best-selling novel by Denny O'Neill. If it wasn't quite as successful as The Death of Superman, well, it wasn't for lack of trying. The origins of Nightfall as a sales event obviously take their cues from that Superman story, which had an unprecedented level of success, gaining media coverage for DC Comics in general and The Man of Steel in particular. Couldn't the same thing be done for the Batman? However, Unlike the Spider-Man clone saga, which followed a similar template but was often controlled by business interests rather than creative storytelling, Nightfall had a story at its heart that was worth telling. Despite being a noted urban vigilante, the Batman had a strict personal code about carrying guns and killing people, and had been that way almost since his inception, despite a few minor examples to the contrary in the early days. Despite his renewed reputation as a fearsome Dark Knight Avenger, a difficult task after the 60s TV show, audience had grown used to the 80s action heroes like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, and comic book characters such as the Punisher and Wolverine, who quite happily slaughtered people in the name of heroism. Gone even were the days of Dirty Harry films, which, at the heart, questioned whether the main character of Harry Callahan was as damaged or as bad as the criminals he killed, and politicised statements about the rights of the victim. Or the James Bond novels by Ian Fleming, where Fleming established the villains to be the scum of the earth, and that, in many cases, Bond was correct in killing them. Readers wanted to know, why doesn't Batman kill? Why doesn't he just kill the Joker? Isn't every person the Joker kills on his next crime spree Batman's fault because he let him live? These were the questions that editor Denny O'Neill and his team of writers and artists were hoping to answer. 
if the readers wanted a bloodthirsty Batman who killed criminals, a Batman who had no compunction about taking the law into his own hands, a Batman who really was as insane as the criminals he hunted, then by Gadfrey, that was what they were going to give to him. As usual with comic book stories, Nightfall doesn't have a specific beginning. Seeds had been planted in the continuing monthly narrative for a while at this point. Legends of the Dark Knight ran a five-part story called Venom that detailed Batman attempting to use drugs to enhance his performance in the streets. Batman obviously realises that the drugs don't work, okay? But this drug will be used in the main storyline by the central bad guy, Bane. Bane's storyline was set up in the 64-page one-shot Vengeance of Bane, written by Chuck Dixon with art by Graham Nolan, in which Bane, a hardened criminal from South America, is experimented upon using an experimental drug. Guess which one? Cocaine. No. Try again. Marijuana. Uh, Venom. And he vows to take Gotham City from the Batman. Hey! Who turned on the lights? Is it the cops? It's just one guy. No way! There's two of them! Hey, whoever you are, nobody takes out the Batman brothers in their own. Chuck, Dougie, did you guys fall down and hurt yourselves? Hold it. I see you, pal. It's dark and news is quick, but I got 14 more shots. Nobody's that quick. Drop the gun or I'll hurt you. Who turned out the lights? Uh, you did, dude. Put it back on, huh? Get out of here fast. Your life is in danger. I'm going. Somebody! Somebody got me by the neck! Night lenses. You do not kill. Ah. That is strange. A creature cloaked in nightmare. A figure of terror in a city of terror, and you do not kill. You're not with the Macklins. You're not with anyone I know. Who are you? I am Bane. It is a name you will scream for mercy. You're threatening me? Get in line. You will scream it, as this one does. No. You will share his fate. You will scream my name. My God. Jim Gordon? It's the Batman. Get an ambulance over to the Macklin Brothers' place on Peterson. I've got a man here with a broken back. All right, Venom. The four-issue miniseries Sword of Azrael by Denny O'Neill and Joe Quesada. Wait, wait. Yes, that Joe Quesada. Yes, yes, that Joe Quesada. Did you, like, bend the Batman readers over like he bent down the Spider-Man Oh, readers? shut up. And introduce Jean-Paul Valley, who discovers he has been trained as an assassin by an ancient order. Yeah, yeah, I'm coming. What the... Who... Father! But you're supposed to be in Europe. These clothes... I am dying, my son. It is your turn. You're bleeding! Gotham University has a doctor out... No doctor. No one must know of Azrael. Azrael? What's Azrael? I was, like my father before me, as you are now. But I don't understand. Listen. Listen. Abandon my body to be found by strangers. What? And fly home. But there is a package for you there with instructions. <laughs> when you find Nomos, you want to explain everything. I have failed. Nomos? <laughs> but promise me you will not. Father! So he was trained as an assassin without knowing he was being trained as an assassin. Indeed. So people sleepwalk and sleep talk and he was sleep trained as an assassin. Yes! <laughs> you sleepwalk. 
Oh, you did as a kid, yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay. The main Batman books had a prelude to Nightfall, running the six issues before Nightfall began, which detailed Bane's constant attacks on the Batman via subordinates that saw Batman suffering both mentally and physically. The storyline was advertised with a superb set of house adverts running through all of the DC line at the time. They used the cover art from each book and had pithy little slogans for each issue, similar to a logline in TV Guide. With all this set up underway, the Nightfall storyline proper kicks off in Batman 492, which is this issue that I have in my hot little hands. It came out on the 16th of March 1993 and has a cover date of May 1993. The cover is by Kelly Jones and depicts Batman putting the smack down on some random thug whilst the Mad Hatter looks on. A grey banner with Nightfall and the bat symbol in a yellow runs across the top with a number one. Uh, I think that's quite a striking cover. I quite like it. Jones has a very distinct style. Batman has huge ears and the scalloped cape is very fractured. But the warped anatomy can put a lot of people off. For instance, on this cover, it looks like Batman has a very, very long leg. That one, that yes. one, yeah. Yes. You want to see a long arm, Otis? You want to see a really long arm? Jones would later go on to have quite a run on the book after the whole Nightfall storyline came to an end, but his style doesn't lend itself to everybody's taste. I quite like it for covers. It gave the Nightfall storyline a distinct look, something that was missing from the Death of Superman covers. But he is an artist that would have been better suited to a horror book back in the day. Cover, Michael. I think it's quite cool. Yeah. Mm. I am a fan of Kelly Jones' stuff, and his covers for this were what made me like him, really. Really? This, yeah. Well, then... Did he use some Sandman, Kelly Jones? Yeah. Did he? But it was this I read first. And so begins the first chapter of Nightfall. The story is called Crossed Eyes and Dotty T's. It's written by Doug Mensch and Norm Brayfogle did the art. Adrian Roy coloured it, Richard Starkings lettered it, and it was edited by Jordan B. Gorfinkel, Scott Peterson and Denny O'Neill. In the cold, dark night, the Mad Hatter breaks into Gotham Zoo and using an explosive derby hat, breaks his pet chimp out of confinement. <laughs> That's very much like a pre-credit sequence from the old TV show, that. The next scene should be Commissioner Gordon phoning Adam West up because he's too lazy to do any work for himself. Batman, Batman. Batman, I've stubbed my toe. Could you sort it for me, please? Kiss it better, Batman. What, what, what? Listen, I can throw you. Kiss my toe. Oh, dear me. In the Batcave, Robin, in his third incarnation as Tim Drake, and the Batman, still Bruce Wayne, look at a large computer screen displaying all of the robes who have recently been broken out of Arkham Asylum by person or persons unknown. Robin guesses that it is the same person that busted up Killer Croc, a new adversary called Bane, who really seems to have it in for the Dark Knight. Batman's looking a little dishevelled and unshaven. They head for the Batmobile, if they can't find Bane, they can at least find somebody who knows him. Meanwhile, a shadowy figure... They're always shadowy figures, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, they're always around, a shadowy figure of some description. We will later find out he is called Bird, and under the employ of Bane, is spying on the Mad Hatter using a trained falcon. Hatter's monkey grabs the falcon out of sight of Bird, and the Hatter places a small tracer on it so he can find out who is following him. Tracer placed, he lets the falcon return to Bird. The Hatter breaks into a haberdashery and steals a number of hats. The word comes over the police scanner, which of course Batman is monitoring, and they head off. At police headquarters, Montoya and Sergeant Bullock are examining the case of who broke everybody out of Arkham. 
Montoya figures out there is no reason for the breakout and thus nothing to figure out. Batman and Robin get to the haberdashery before the police and discover that the hatter has left them an invite to tea. An haberdashery? Yes. A haberdashery. A haberdashery. An invite to tea at the haberdashery. It's very civilised. Cricket. It's very civilised, though. Was that civilised? No. Certainly not. Fun, Fun, but but not not (laughs) civilised. The dynamic duo take off. Bane, meanwhile, is watching TV. Some armchair psychologist named Simpson Flanders... Mm. I get it. Is saying that the breakout could be Batman's greatest nightmare. Batman and Robin arrive at the tea party and Batman orders Robin to stay behind. He's back up. Meanwhile, the Mad Hatter has invited others to the tea party. Under gunpoint, he orders them to place the hats he stole earlier and, once on their heads, they are under his influence. He's put a brainwave controller in the hats to control their eyes. Uh, 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 And he orders a C-list rogue, the film freak, to undertake a specific task for him. He's C-list? Film freak? Yeah. I'm being generous, calling him C-list. He is to follow the homing device attached to the Falcon and track it back to the owner. Batman and Robin sneak around the Tinil estate. I wonder if there's somebody there called the Captain. Checking Mad Hatter doesn't have any surprises waiting for them. The Batman is flagging, maintains that he's okay. Meantime, Bane discovers the tracking device just as Film Freak tracks him down. Bane injects himself with the venom and heads downstairs. The Batman confronts the Mad Hatter, who says he knows nothing about Bane, but over the two-way communicator he has been communicating with Film Freak, Batman and Hatter hear Bane attack Film Freak. Hatter orders the guest to attack the Batman, distracting him from the Film Freak's attack. The melee leaves Batman open to machine gun attack from the Hatter, but Robin breaks orders and takes him down. With Robin's help, Batman stops the attackers as Bane snaps Film Freak's neck. Batman realises that the war has only just begun. Dun, dun, dun. Now, a spot of tea. Who'll be mother? I take mine without milk, Hatter. Got a diet soda? Why, it's our guest of honour. At last, we can start the party games. Hats stimulate adrenal cortexes. Robin, wait there is back up. Yeah, come on, come on. What did you think of that one, Michael? Well, I didn't get on the first page. Mm-hmm. What is Mad Hatter's relationship with that chimpanzee? It's just his pet. He has a chip chimpanzee. Pet Clint Eastwood chimpanzee. had a pet chimpanzee in the Any Which Way You Can movies. Movie terrible. I quite like the Every Which Way But Loose movies. Any Which Way You Can, whichever one it was. Every Which Way But Loose was first, wasn't it? Yeah. And then the sequel was Any Which Way You Can. Every Which Way But Loose. Yeah, you turn me. Every Which Way But Loose. That sound went so good, didn't it? I don't care. <laughs> Can't get enough Clint Eastwood. So it's just his pet. I presume so. And he was willing to break into his pet. think there's any. Yes. Okay. People are very fond of their pets. So much they'll go and break into a. So much. He's the Mad Hatter. He's not operating with a full deck, let's be honest. He's just been busted out of Arkham. First thing you do is go and find your pet monkey. Okay. That's, you know, obviously his thinking on the matter. When the monkey doesn't behave himself, the Mad Hatter spanks spanks the monkey. monkey. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, we'll be here all week. Don't forget to tip your waitresses. Uh, Um, On the second page, I quite like Batman's checklist. And also I do like 
Doctor Destiny being up there. What was Doctor Destiny? Oh, there at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Doug Bench and Norm Brayfogle's on here as well. Yeah, I think they're in all of them. Are they? The ones we've read so far. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know this. I'll point them out later. Ah, oh, that would be very nice if you did that. Mm-hmm. Um, on page four. I think I'd quite like to subscribe to the Optimist Times. Yeah, there's two newspapers floating down the street. The Optimist Times. Life is a Wonderland is the headline. <laughs> that paper would never sell in our dark, cynical 21st century, would it? No. And um, the Gotham News has 50 die in ecology disaster. <laughs> oh, dear me. Um, and on page five... There's another newspaper headline. Batmobile is speeding off. Mm. Why is there always a newspaper on the floor in these things? Oil tanker grounded. Electric cars clean, but with poor range. Which is actually true. Fair enough. Ahead of his time, that newspaper. I don't know. I mean, it's not on every page that there's a newspaper floating around after the Batmobile zooms off, is there? It's in every other comic, more but, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's a, an affectation of some description. Um... Explosive Derby on page one. <laughs> you gotta love an explosive derby hat. All oh, right, the hat. <laughs> what do you think I meant? Uh, like a destruction derby, only with a no, no, an explosive derby. Well, maybe that's why they did it. Uh, possibly. Top of page three. The word balloon is misplaced to make it look like it's Robin speaking, not Batman. Little things like that can take you out of the story. I thought it was Robin. No, 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 no. Cause of Bane, he's definitely got it in for you. Yes, the one I confronted in the Manklin Brothers hideout. Batman says that. Okay. Batman confronted them at the Manklin Brothers hideout. Not Robin. I quite like the Batmobile, though. The Batmobile is very, very cool. Bray Fogle's Batmobile is one of the coolest. It's a really sleek little roadster with spoilers that curve over the back and low headlights that make it look like eyes. Uh, Have you not got a toy of that Batmobile? Batmobile, Yeah, Yeah, that's your favourite Batmobile, isn't it? Because, was this your era of Batman? It was, yeah. Even though this came out two years before you were born. Nightfall finished after I was born, didn't it? Wait, if it ran for a year and it started in 1993, then no. Okay, Night's End then. Yeah, no, I think the whole thing took a year. Did it? Yeah, so Night's End will have finished sometime before you you were born. 69 issues out in one year. There's lots of crossovers that's like Batman Detective Comics Shadow of the Bat isn't Catwoman like five issues Robin. a month yeah it's quite an not, epic storyline five issues a week it's quite an epic storyline yeah. I think you'll find five issues a week there's only 52 weeks in a year well why does he get 69 out in a year then Batman Detective Comics Shadow of the Bat Showcase Robin so get one of Catwoman them but not all of them were tied into this, though. Quite a lot of them were, if you have a look on the, the list. Oh, like four Catwomans were, though, and that was later on. Uh, I think there was about three episode issues of Catwoman crossover to this. I can't remember, to be honest with you. I'd have to, to loot that up on something more reliable than Wikipedia. Um, page four. I love that the Mad Hatter steals the hats. Do you have just machine gun in the window? <laughs> Absolutely no subtlety. I'm just going to blow the window out. (laughs) Going to break into the zoo as well. Steal his monkey. If you're going to break into something, you may as well do it with a bit of style. (laughs) Uh, Page six. No, it isn't. Page five. The Batmobile has a turbo boost. It does. They're getting away, Michael. Just with a big turbo sign on it. With a big turbo sign on it. Turbo sign. That's a bit silly, actually. That because one, two, three, four. Page five. Page five. Panel five. Mm. It just says turbo over three 
almost four buttons. Maybe. What do the other three buttons do? Fast. <coughs> super fast. Even faster. Fast. Holy super crap, fast. You're in the back of the car. And super pursuit mode, yeah. where the Batmobile turns into a convertible and has wings come out of it and it shoots off at 600 miles an hour. Does it just grow wings and fly? Yes. Fair it would be a flying Batmobile, it would be cool. There already is one. Grant Morrison did that, didn't he? Two even. Oh, Grant Morrison mentioned for the episode. There's Get that out of the way quickly. There's one in Batman, Batman <coughs> the Future, Beyond. Batman Beyond. He has a flying Batman. Does he have a flying mm-hmm. Batmobile? I used to have a toy of that. Did you? Mm-hmm. We used to watch Batman Beyond on Cartoon Network when you were little. When Cartoon Network was good? Yes, when Cartoon Network was good. When it used to show Samurai Jack. Mm. Which was also one of your favourites as a child. Uh, page six, Bullock's slop from his donuts changes side. Which is a minor little continuity goof. But mm. if you have a look, the, it falls on his left. And then it's on his right, though. And then it's on his left. And then it's and on his left again, and then it's on his right. So. Uh, okay. If that was a TV show, we would point and laugh at that. We point and laughed at it anyway. Well, we did, yes, but I don't know whose fault that is, to be honest with you. Maybe it was supposed to be on both, and it's a colouring error. I've no idea. Uh, Simpson Flanders is obviously an al- amalgam of Homer Simpson and Ned Flanders. Really? Well, it could be somebody else. Maybe there really is someone called Simpson Flanders. There could be. There could be. There could be another pop culture thing going on in which there's a Simpson and a Flanders. But mm. I don't know. Page fourteen, panel six. That shot of Batman mm. is fantastic. Norm Brayfogle is a much underrated Batman artist. I think that's a brilliant shot. That. Um, I love the structure of this story. All the disparate elements, Bane, the Hatter, Batman, Film Freak, Bird, all come together at the end in a series of quick cuts from panel to panel as everything comes to a head simultaneously. It's a masterful scripting job by Doug Mensch. And Brayfogel's art just completely sells it. It's, it's a brilliant, brilliant ending, I thought. What did you think of that? I liked it. The way it cross-cuts at the end. See that it goes there from the Mad Hatter to Film Freak to back to the Mad Hatter to Bane. It's really good. Very impressive with that, to be honest with you. There's a couple of good adverts in this book as well. There's an advert for Panic in the Sky, which was a trade paperback collection of um, a Superman storyline, with, it boasts here, mm. a new final page by Roger Stern, Tom Grummet and Doug Hazelwood. So, so uh, what's his face in it work on it? Hey. Dan Jurgen Dan did work on Panic oh, in the right. Sky yeah. there's an advert for Double Dragon 3 <laughs> Double Dragon 3 Double Dragon was a great game okay. I used to like playing Double Dragon the DC Universe books are all about the death of Superman where Lex Luthor is filling the void he's filling Supergirl's void at this moment oh. there's an advert for the Dark Stars which I remember reading a couple of issues and quite liking um, a Mile High Comics advert and an advert for the Icon imprint. No, the Icon book from the Milestone imprint. Some of them were really good. Really? Yeah, some of those Icon books. Icon, really? I've done it again. Some of those Milestone books. Icon I really enjoyed. Uh, they brought that back for the new Static Shock. Yeah, and Static was really good. Okay. Dwayne McDuffie wrote Static. I think Dwayne McDuffie wrote um, Icon as well. There's an advert for a Burt Reynolds film called Cop and a Half which I have had the privilege of never having seen, and based on this truly nauseous <laughs> advert, I never want to see it. Oddly, it was directed by the Fonz. Hey. hey! Henry Winkler directed this film. No, looks truly <laughs> appalling, to be honest with you. And an advert for Batman the Animated Series, which had just started at this point. Little background information on the bad guys 
in that issue. The film freak is yet another quirky Gotham City bad guy who commits crimes based on movies. Um, he was never an A-lister, I think it's fair to say. His real name is Burt Weston. A tip of the hat to Adam Weston, Burt Ward. Yeah, I got that too. Good. No, I, I didn't. Yeah, okay. Apparently... He survived this, despite clearly being dead, and quite clearly being referred to as being dead in the next issue. But he appeared in the one year later storyline, although no reason was given for his survival. So Superboy Prime. Superboy Prime, yeah. I think we can chart that up to another example of DC editorial incompetence, to be honest with you. Jervis Tetch, which is a fantastic name. I love the name Jervis Tetch. The Mad Hatter is a lesser-known rogue, although he was popularised by David Wayne's performance on the 60s TV show. Do you remember the one where Batman had a pink cowl? Yes. And uh, there's the Mad Hatter wanted his cowl. That was a Mad Hatter episode. So he just lost it. It's like, hey, look, I've got a pink one. Why would he wear a pink cowl? Doesn't that just fuel Frederick Wortham's fire? Yeah. It's just shocking. He should have gone for the purple, yellow and red to get up instead. Uh, oh, Rainbow off. Batman. Let's bring back Rainbow Batman. Can you imagine Christopher Nolan making a Rainbow Batman movie? <laughs> I want him to do Oh, God, no, please, no. Um, he's a bit of a one-note bad guy, to be honest, the Mad Hatter. Normally committing crimes based on Lewis Carroll or Hats. Um, he's a lot madder here in terms of insanity than he was in Detective Comics 526, which we happened to cover last week. Um, of course, DC has had to darken the character over the years. Grant Morrison implied that he was a paedophile in the graphic novel Arkham Asylum. <sighs> Didn't he also make the Joker a cross Yes, he did. He made Jimmy Olsen a cross-dresser as well, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. uh, this was carried over to the main books, albeit toned down to just be an unhealthy obsession with children. The best version of the Hatter is in the 90s animated series Batman TV show, where he's just a slightly mousy bloke obsessed with a co-worker and Lewis Carroll. She spurns his advances and he cracks up. Great performance by Roddy McDowell as, okay. the, as the Mad Hatter. He sounds familiar. He's Cornelius in the Planet of the Apes films. Okay. And he was the bookworm in the 60s Batman TV show. Everything comes full circle. Okay. From order we get chaos, and from chaos we get order. Um, on the whole... Chaos. Unless you end up with more chaos, yeah. This is a very low-key start to the Nightfall storyline. It's already deep into the narrative, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but readers picking this up here may be a little confused as to who Bane is and what his motives are. No explanation is given to Batman's increased lethargy, nor to his driven nature. Uh, the graphic novel representation of this, um, part one was Who Rules the Night, wasn't it? And part two was The Broken Bat. I thought two was Who Rules the Night. Was it, was it the other way around? Okay. The Broken Bat and Who Rules the Night, okay. Um, actually begins with the issue before this, establishing that the Arkham villains have been broken out of Arkham Asylum. Um, maybe we should have started with that issue, to be yeah. honest with you, but yeah, never mind. The novel by Denny O'Neill begins the story a lot earlier, and this issue barely rates a mention in the narrative arc of the book, whose opening chapters concentrate on setting up Bane's origin, taking stuff from the Vengeance of Bane one-shot we mentioned earlier, and the actual arc and breakout, again, from the issue of Batman just prior to this one. The radio adaptation is 50 minutes in before this story happens, but at least it's in there, unlike the novel, where it's just omitted completely. Uh, I'm digging on the novel. Is it good? I think the novel's fantastic. Okay. He's done a really good job of purring out everything that's unnecessary for people who may have just think, oh, I watched that Batman film that Tim Burton did. I'll pick up this Batman book. 
It's really good. Dick Grayson rates a mention and that's it. No okay. sign of Dick Grayson and there's nothing else. Brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Is that all you have to say on part one? Hmm? Was it a good setup? Not really. It's not, is it? No. Because you're already deep into the storyline. Yeah. So, on the one hand, it does its job. But on the other... It doesn't. You're uh, kind of scratching your head as to who this Bane guy is. And what's going on with Batman. And what's going on with Batman. And where and all these guys come and from. We, when did Arkham Asylum get busted out? And who's that chimpanzee? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. Who's that chimpanzee was not at the forefront of my mind when I was reading this for the first time. Was it mine? 19. 1993. Yes, it's my pet chimpanzee that you've never heard of and never will again. Right turn, Clyde. The story continued... In Detective Comics 659. Again, the cover is by Kelly Jones, this time depicting a hugely grotesque, overly muscled adversary holding Batman down by the throat and pummeling with his huge fist. In the background, a bald, bespectacled dude with a sock on his hand watches in surprise. Now, maybe he needs it. I'll be brutally honest with you. He likes those big, muscly men. Perhaps he does. <laughs> I had no idea that was supposed to be the ventriloquist. Really? Yeah. Not a clue. That doesn't look like the ventriloquist to me. And I love the... I think the ventriloquist is a fantastic bad guy. The ventriloquist in Scarface. Yeah. Brilliant bad guy. Isn't ventriloquist a woman, though? Oh, why? Have they killed the ventriloquist? In that Paul Dini run that they did, like, four years ago. Did they kill the ventriloquist? I don't remember. Batman comics. Oh, man, I... Yes, he was in his Zatanna story. And I normally like Paul Dini as well. They're all surrounded by stuffed toys. Including a nice big teddy bear. Again, Kelly Jones isn't to everybody's taste, so your opinion on this cover may differ to mine. But I quite liked it. Uh, it was at this point that both Batman and Detective Comics had the same logo. What do you think of the cover, Michael? What do I think of the cover? What do you think of the cover, Michael? Well, certainly seen better days. Well, yes, but we'll, we'll go into that. Okay. Well, I, I, I quite... Don't mind it, really. You don't mind it. No. Really? Do you not think Batman's ears are a bit? I like big-eared Batman. Bit, do you? Are you a fan of big-eared Batman? And long capes, like Tim Sales. Big ears and long capes. Okay, fair enough. Teach his own. Uh, the story is called Puppets. Again, the best kind of title for a story is one that has double meanings, as that one does. It's pretty much by the same creative team, except Chuck Dixon wrote it and Tim Harkins lettered it. Other than that, exactly the same. It begins with flashbacks. Sure. It begins with a flashback to two nights ago when Arkham Asylum fell, with numerous denizens of that august establishment running for freedom. Three such luminaries include Maxi Zeus, madman who thinks he's a Greek god, the ventriloquist, separated from his dummy Scarface and quite lost without him, and Amygdala. Or amygdala, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Amygdala. Amygdala. A huge hulk of a man who's had his brain experimented on. Max, he takes himself out of the game pretty early on by running into a tree and knocking himself out. The ventriloquist and now amygdala, plus the sock on ventriloquist he's talking to on his hand, try to find ventriloquist's friend Scarface, who is a dummy, I should point out. If ventriloquist will help amygdala get his medicine, amygdala asks ventriloquist's friend's name. He says it's Socko. The sock that he's talking yeah. to. He's I don't know if I made that terribly clear in my otherwise magnificently written synopsis. It's called soccer. The sock's called soccer. The next night, now, the narration helpfully informs us, Batman and Robin locate film freak's dead body. 
Batman notes that every bone in his body has been broken by someone using the birth fists. So he's, he's definitely dead then. He's definitely dead, yes. The dynamic duo take off as the police and Lieutenant Kitch arrive to bag and tag the deceased. On TV, Simpson Flanders continues to plug his book, I'm saying, and so are you, by banging on about how the Arkham inmates are in greater danger from us than we are from them. Batman and Robin arrive back at the Batmobile, still being followed by Bane's trained Falcon. Batman wants to get as many of Arkham's inhabitants locked up as soon as possible, and the longer they have to plan, the more dangerous they will be. As if to illustrate the point, across town, the ventriloquist and amygdala ask a bar full of non-too-savoury underworld types if they've seen Scarface. They react as one would to a short bespectacled guy who talks to his sock by laughing at him. Amygdala turns them a new one. Batman is still trying to come up with a reason for all this madness, and both he and Robin believe it to be Bane. Robin points out that Batman is on the verge of exhaustion and really should sit this one out. Batman ignores him and heads for the silent alarm at Joy Boy Toys that's just come over the police scanner. The break-in at Joy Boy Toys is the ventriloquist trying to find a new glove puppet that will help him find Scarface. He tries on a number of different ones, including a scene where his sock has a conversation with his duck. I like that. I loved that. <laughs> Before they hear a car pull up. I love ventriloquists. Yeah. The ventriloquist is, is hysterical. Batman orders Robin to stay outside again and heads inside. Robin spots the falcon circling above again. Batman enters the toy store and is struck by a dizzy spell. He snaps himself out of it and finds the ventriloquist who distracts him long enough for Amygdala to attack. Robin, in the meantime, has tracked the falcon to Bane's right-hand man, Bird, who orders the falcon to tear Robin's face off. I'm going to take his face off. Nicholas Cage is Robin. Okay. <laughs> John Travolta is Batman. Oh, dear bit. I'd pay money to see that. What, John Travolta is Batman and Nicolas Cage is Robin? Yeah. Uh, it'd be like that episode of Only Fools and Horses where David Jason was Batman and Nicholas Linders was Robin. Yeah. It would be very silly. Robin takes out the Falcon easily. He just wraps it up in his cape and he tries to take on Bird. Bird, however, gets the upper hand, just as Amygdala does with Batman. The Batman takes out Amygdala purely by luck. Amygdala suffers an attack of some kind and needs his medicine, as does Robin. Bane orders Bird off, and Batman almost collapses under the strain. He gets back to the Batmobile, where an all-units call comes in. Serial killer Mr. Zars has taken over the Bates School for Girls. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Shut up! What the heck is this? My name is Ventriloquist. This is my friend Sarko. Say hello to the nice people, Sarko. People? <laughs> Look out, people. We got a weirdo in the joint. He's got a sock on his hand. <laughs> You're talking to yourself, pal. <laughs> We're looking for Scarface. Has anyone here seen him? Hey, mister, if this is a stick-up, you put the sock on your head, not on your hand. Oh, no, no. Don't upset my friend, Sarko. <laughs> You're making a big mistake laughing at me. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is my friend, the dick. He's a very good guy. You're laughing at my little friend. Uh, Nobody uh, laughs at my little friend. What do you think of that one, Michael? Well, 
I did really like Maxi, Maxi Zeus's face. Yeah, well, Maxi Zeus is still in a straitjacket. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like he could stop himself from running into something. Uh, in the auto adaptation, Bullock punches him out. Oh, okay. Which isn't quite as funny. No. But, you know, they probably would have had a hard time explaining how he ran into a tree on oh, a sure radio sure. play. Feeble grasp for am I not... <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that? Yes. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Maybe they could have done it quite easily in an audio adaptation um, I love that in the back of this why Zeus is knocking himself out on trees the ventriloquist is just sat in the background taking off his shoe and then taking off his sock and then he puts his sock over his hand and starts talking to it yeah. which I, I thought was quite amusing to be honest with you see my problem with the cover is the ventriloquist has her not a lot but, but he has her cover. but on the cover he doesn't have any fair enough so I didn't think that was the ventriloquist um, I think that any man who goes through a full length of writing a book about how he's not insane, but those that are insane and misunderstood, is himself a bit insane. Yeah, well, is Simpson Flanders not very, very irritating in that way? He that is really irritating in this. Pundits on TV shows always are irritating than the smug superiority. Mm. Oh, I do like Batman, though. Yeah, Batman's pretty cool. No, Brett Huckle's brilliant at Shadows. Yeah. I mean, the top of page four, look at that cape. Mm. the cape's brilliant I love the long cape like yeah. you the one that just defies the laws of nature I'm hey. a big fan of that hey look over there is that my cape <laughs> um, I do think that Socko is <laughs> the cruelest Batman villain ever well because he's with the ventriloquist who's just magnificently wonderful they could do a really cool Batman film with the ventriloquist and Scarface mm. because dummies are inherently scurry yeah and dummies that talk are even scurrier. Yeah. And because it's such a great juxtaposition, the ventriloquist, this meek, mousy little guy, and the ventriloquist machine guns people. <laughs> and together, and I love that it's a, it's a, a what's it? It's a symbiotic relationship. But Scarface abuses the ventriloquist <laughs> on a regular basis. Just smacks him across the face, and it's the ventriloquist operating the puppet. <laughs> Oh, I just love the ventriloquist. You did it wrong, though. It's just been a episode of Buffy. Well, yes. But, you know, Buffy doesn't own the rights on doing scurry dolls. No, but it seems to be the same thing now, though. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. Um, page 11, panel 4. I think Batman's expression in that is great. Yeah, well, that entire that entire page, I mean, I think I mentioned it in my notes. But page 11, there's six panels that go across the entire page. And there's a lot of dialogue on the page, but Bray Fogel's grasp of facial expressions are brilliant. Um, I do. Why is why is the Batmobile steering wheel a piece of Lego? I don't know. I don't. I don't guess <laughs> it. Looks cool, and it was the uh, early nineties. It was the nineties. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Um, on page ten, you'll note that Metaphysique is coming as the Batmobile was past more papers mm. swirl around on the back. And Operation Censored War, bombing footage spiked. Was that a political commentary on the time? What was that in 1993? Were we involved in Gulf War One at that point? Wasn't it Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever? No difference to now then. No. Pretty much. <laughs> um, there's a bit... In the toy shop. In the toy shop, yeah, where there's Mikey Mouse. <laughs> well, they couldn't say Mickey Mouse. And Downy Duck. And Downy Duck. And Susie Cute. Mm. Sometimes yes. I really don't like analog characters. Well, you know, they, they probably couldn't use Mickey Mouse. They used Dopey Dixon and Warner Wolf and Sing Song Sally and Enormous Norm. 
So there's references to Norm Brifogel and Chuck Nixon again. His enormous Norm. I, I have no idea about his enormous Norm, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, Batman's cape on page 17 is also really cool. Yes, it is. But Brifogel gives good cape. There's a great advert for Adventures of Superman 500 on the inside cover. Is that the one they were going to have death in? Yes. The battle with Doomsday was the fight of his life. Now the Man of Steel is fighting to live again. You can kill the man, but his spirit lives on. Adventures of Superman 500. Unusually, it's in colour. Every other place that advert has appeared that I've seen thus far is in black and white. Yeah. So that's quite unusual. Um, literary illusion. Page one, they talk about the walls of Arkham come tumbling down. The walls came crumbling down as a biblical reference to the walls of Jericho. However, if you type it into Google, you get Def Leppard lyrics. Okay. Don't know why. They must have done a song about the walls of Jericho crumbling down. The walls of Jericho crumbling down, crumbling down, crumbling down. <laughs> walls, walls of Jericho come crumbling, crumbling down, my fur lady. I don't know how that works, does it? Uh, the amygdala is the part of the brain that registers fear in its most layman of explanations. Okay. Well, do I look like Dr. House? Um, on page Roll seven. House. No, Dr. House is you, Laurie. Uh, You're doing family guy. He's in a band now. Is he? He has his own jazz band. He'll always be thing you're from Blackadder to me. Okay. I say Blackadder! Okay. I do wonder. Oh, just as an aside, there was quite a few people who kicked off in America about them casting a British actress, Superman, Henry okay. Cavill. I'm willing to bet 90% of the people who go and watch that movie in America don't know that he's British. Because okay. there are tons of people who watch House every week who have no clue that Hugh Laurie's British. Hmm. Or that Jamie Bamber was British. Was he? In Battlestar Galactica. Well, no, he played an American. Right. But he is actually British. But I saw Walking Dead. Hmm. Andrew Lincoln in The Walking Dead, British. And then I saw something else after that and it's like, what? Oh, well, you'd never seen Andrew Lincoln in Teachers or um, no. This Life, had you? No. So you didn't know, you just knew him from The Walking Dead. There you go, British actor. Okay. Um, half the cast of... Um, what's that thing your mum watches? Without a Trace. Half the cast of Without a Trace are American. Right. Anthony Paglia is Australian. Okay. Um, what, who's the girl who's British in Without a Trace? Marianne British. Baptiste, British. Not American. Okay. James Masters, not British, played a British vampire on Buffer. So I really don't think it matters, really. And let's be honest, we've had an Australian James Bond. Granted, that, that one didn't really work out too well. And an American Sherlock Holmes. So you can have a bloody British Superman. And they've got a British Batman, Christian Bale, is British. Okay. And a British Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield, British. You know, I've started referring to him. It's like people run about social network. Like, you know, in Peter Parker. Yeah, they won't know that yet. It's not yeah, out. You fool. I had to explain it to him. Yeah, oh, dear me. Um, okay, page seven, panel one. Loving the cape. Hmm. Loving the Batman cape. Uh, Robin obviously knows the Falcon is following them on page seven also, but isn't made clear if Batman does anything about it. Now, would have been much smarter here for him to send Robin to tail it to see where it leads. Although, you know didn't really work out too well for film freak or follow it himself yeah that would have been sensible is the point of that therefore to show that batman's not firing on all cylinders maybe because at this point he is supposed to be a bit uh, worn out page nine the ventriloquist goes to the pub Does or it? the bar yeah. if you want to call it the bar or the pub i'm really not concerned the bar, the bar. and uh, it's feeding soccer a drink yeah. <laughs> comedy gold throw a straw <laughs> Can you feed someone a drink? Yes. What do you think they do with babies? Feed food? No, you feed them milk. Milk is a drink. Milk is liquid. I know it's food as well. 
Okay. Still liquid. Fair enough. Okay. Glad we agree. So you can feed drinks. Yes. And not feed. What? What are those meal in a drink things that um, weightlifters use and people are on diets? Horrible. Yes, they are <laughs> horrible. Yes, I'm, I'm not disputing that, but they're still feeding a drink, aren't they? Um, Bray Fogle does that brilliant thing on page 11 that we've already mentioned, but you can only really get away with in comics and animation. He changes the expressions on Batman's mask to mimic facial expressions. And he's pretty damned excellent at it. Mm. Page 11, as we've already said, he's just holding close-up, and he does a masterful job of conveying the emotions running across Batman and Robin's faces, which is a neat trick, considering they're both wearing masks. Mm. Jolly good. Bottom of page 10, that's a great shot of the Batmobile. I do remember reading the letters page in Ultimate Spidey one time, where it's pretty much, Right, Deadpool's mask is attached to his face, so his expression can change with that. But why does Spider-Man's expression change? It's called artistic license, you <laughs> dumb <laughs> <coughs> Page 14, panel 1. Awesomeness. Mm. That's an awesome panel. That is a bit McFarlane-esque in the way the cape is drawn. But it's a brilliant panel. It really is. All dark and moody and shadow with the moon in the background. Um, Why is Bray Fogle not drawing more Batman? I want to know. Uh, Page 17 is a fantastic one-page splash laid out as three panels. It's a great piece of art with a clever design sense while it's not being too arty that it doesn't tell the story. Amygdala sticking his head out of the high I'm Brandy poster is funny as well. That's a great lad, isn't it? Mm. I think that's brilliant. He would do that again later on in another issue. Um, Robin has a truly evil grin, panel 2 of page 18, when he takes out the falcon rather easily as well. Mm. That bird doesn't really give him any trouble, does it? to be honest with you. Uh, the layout of page 19 is pretty damn cool. The page is split into two halves, but diagonally from right to left, from the right corner to the, the left corner to the right corner, sorry. Batman is being punched out towards the bottom left, and Robin is being punched out towards the top right, and that's, that's a great page. I really do like that one. This story rates a larger appearance in the novel, in that it's actually in the novel, whereas the last story with the Mad Hatter... Not so much. I like that. Yeah, the DC Universe page that we've just passed has a Kelly Jones shot, um, plugging Nightfall. It's actually, isn't that ripped off a cover somewhere? It's not ripped off one of these. Maybe it was an earlier one. I don't know. Both Batman and Robin only escape here by dumb luck. Although I reckon Robin could have taken out Bird with a bit longer. Uh, As before, the art's great. I also like that this issue... And the first part have taken place on the same night, and the Tsar's issue next time will also take place in the same evening. This gives a lot of credence to Batman's exhaustion, although why he isn't calling in some markers from his old mates, like Dick Grayson or Barbara Gordon or the Creeper. The Creeper still lives in Gotham City, doesn't he? Yeah. That's dead check. Isn't adequately explained. The novel, however, to create a dramatic through-line, has no other heroes available to Batman, making it a little more acceptable why he doesn't call in the cavalry. Also notable in the novel, Batman himself hates the term the Dark Knight. Okay. He thinks it's lazy journalism. Fair enough. Some of the dialogue in the book is... So the relationship between Batman and Alfred in the book is brilliant. It really is cool. It really is disapproving father and son who just does what he wants to anyway. I could relate... Mm, same on an odd level as Michael mentioned earlier the cover to this has seen better days let's put it bluntly my copy's knackered yes isn't it very it's water damaged and it's a bit creased um, but I don't want to get rid of it as I've already said back in the day we would get our US comics three months late due to being ballast on ships I will have just turned 
20. No, I'll be, I'll be nearly 21 when this came out. And I had a job and all that stuff, so I could go to comic shops. But I couldn't find this issue anywhere. The tedious speculator market had been told that these issues would be to Batman, what the death of was to Superman, and stopped us people that were regularly buying Batman anyway from getting them. And now these are in 50p bins. So I hope all those people who stopped me from buying this issue of Detective Comics and bought 40 of them now have no money. Ha! Serves you right. <laughs> However, I continued to buy Nightfall as I had the safety net of the three months lag time. Mm. I biked a 14 mile round trip to Lee to pick this up from a newsagent that I knew stocked American comics. But on the way home, got soaked as it bucketed down. And obviously the comic suffered. Mm. as you can tell but this is one of the re- another reason I'm not really down with digital I have stories relating to buying these comics memories attached from this one specifically you, can you see people in the future going hey do you remember that time I clicked a button and downloaded a comic I can't really see that having the same Maybe. memory can remember you? that time I had to fight loads of the Chinese army to get that one comic downloaded onto my USB pen. No! Did you get past the Canadians? Yes, and the Alaskans. <gasps> I don't really see that happening somehow. Be fun if it did. Yeah. But no. Where did you get that comic? Oh, I did this. Brilliant. Excellent. Good, good, good. Where did you get that comic? Well, there's a funny story attached to that. Anyway, so that's why I've never replaced this mm. because I have fond memories of it, even though it is quite quite knackered hmm. nightfall are we keeping you up yeah <laughs> <laughs> actually and we're recording this a lot earlier than we normally do um, we've yeah. normally not started yet socialite boy I'm sorry family friends don't <laughs> um, nightfall part 3 crossed back over to batman 493 again written by Doug Mensch but the rest of the credits are the same as before the title of the story is red slash Batman speeds towards the girls' school, where Zaz is holding the school hostage. Outside, the police have the school surrounded. The police conclude that there should only be about 15 hostages left in the building. One of the officers enters the school via an open window into one of the classrooms in search of an officer who previously went in before. The officer finds the other officer he was looking for, dead on the floor in a pool of blood, before Zaz leaps from the shadows and slits his throat. Oh man. Meanwhile, Bane explains to his partners that Batman is physically weakened is not yet ready to be broken. As police decide what to do next, the two dead officers fly out of the window and smash into one of the cars. Zaz yells at the police, telling them that he's now going to kill two of the women for the two police officers they sent him. They didn't actually fly out the window. Mr. Zaz threw them out of the window. I know that you made that quite clear, though. They're not from Krypton. (laughs) No, they have a cape. (laughs) <laughs> so they can fly yeah. <laughs> yeah brilliant the police shoot at Zaz but he's disappeared back inside and Batman arrives and grapples into the top floor of the school he hears a noise inside one of the rooms and opens the door to inspect it suddenly hands grasp his neck and he goes for the attacker's throat he then realises it's only Robins and tells him to leave but Robin fills Batman in about his fight with Falcon with well, no, it's Bird, isn't it? Yes. I thought the dude was called Falcon. No, the Falcon's the Falcon. Right. That's a Marvel comic. But the Falcon in this is a real Falcon. But the guy's called Bird. Right. Yes. This fight with Bird. Yes. And Batman tells him to stay away from Bane. <laughs> On the way out of the window, Robin spots Bird's Falcon instead of Falcon's Falcon. Yes. As Zaz heads to the hostages, he explains to them that two of them will die. 
He drags one out of the crowd and is attacked by the woman who's been planning on fighting Zaz since the beginning of this issue, but I couldn't be bothered mentioning it. <laughs> he kicks her and chooses her for his second victim. Montoya, who still works for the Gotham Central Police Department and isn't the question yet... Was Montoya created for the animated series? I don't know. I, th- I don't know. She was in this. Yes, she was, so maybe she was. Shoots Zaz and holds him up at gunpoint whilst he holds a knife to a girl's neck. At Kroll Estate, the Murr yes. tells Jim Mer Gordon Krull. Yes. Tells Jim Gordon that because he didn't follow the shoot to kill order after the breakout, any deaths that happen is on Gordon's hands. And that even if nobody dies, he'll replace someone else as commissioner. He'll replace him as commissioner for succeeding. <coughs> I don't well, think, no, I don't just, think that'll work. Isn't he so just it. acting like a douche here going, you've been in office too long? Yeah, more cruel than douche anyway. Back at the school, Montoya tells Zaz to take her and not the girl. And so Zaz tells her to drop the gun and turn around. She does so, and he grabs hold of her, but her efforts are wasted as, she, as he says she only saved one girl's life, and he'll have to kill a third for Montoya showing up. Suddenly, Batman smashes through the window and faces off against Zaz. It's on! Batman talks Zaz into telling him Bane's plan, and when he loosens his grip, Montoya shoulders Zaz and lets him, he lets go of her. Batman pursues, but loses Zaz, but he jumps onto Batman from a lamp. But Batman just throws him into a door and quickly takes him down. Whilst yelling at Zaz, telling him that he's not a murderer, just as he's about, uh, about to kill them, Montoya stops him and sits on and he sits on a roof whilst being watched by one of Bane's group. Oop, oop. Once a, a slip of the knife and the pretty cop gets it! Batman, I tried bargaining with him. Exchange myself with a hostage. You did your best, Officer Montoya. Did your best? As if you were a cop? You're not. You're just like me. A stalker, a predator, and you love it. Don't you, Batman? Here, sicko! Montoya! Go! You're just like me. We're both bound for hell. I'm not like you. Killer. Not. All right. Stop it. That's enough. I've got him, Batman. Enough. Enough? No. Too much. Way too much. Page one, the splash page again. Brave Fogel's use of composition is exemplary, with two panels again being merged into one for stunning effect. Top half of the panel is the Batmobile screaming down some Gotham City road somewhere. Gotham City's 14 miles, gone to a sign there. No, I just made that up because it's a Batman TV show reference. Uh, While the bottom panel is Batman looking a bit forlorn and unshaven and unkempt. It's, uh, It's really good. Mr. Zars is one of Batman's most brutal bad guys. A merciless serial killer, he cuts his many deaths onto his own body because he's a true psychopath and much scurrier than the Joker simply because he could actually be real. Mr. Zars is insane in that way that he doesn't think he's insane. Mm. So it's really good. On page two, the books all have very interesting spines. Yes, that was it. If you look at them, Abnormal Brayfogle. Where everyone he's worked on. Denny's Dementia, Madness of Mench, Hysterical Harkins, Random Killings of Roy, Gruesome Gorfinkel. And uh, that's, I can't, there's no more that you can make out. Zaz's killings, although tame by today's standards, are chillingly depicted by Brayfogle. Page seven. Panel one, the cop lifts up the first cop who went in to reveal his throat slit. And then panel five, this other cop gets his throat cut in shadow by Zars, and the entire background is just coloured in red. 
Um, it's a good... So it's not a splash page for him blowing his brains out? No, it's not a splash page of somebody blowing their brains out on panel. You know, mm. thank you for that, Jeff Johns. Exhibit A from this issue, page 10, panel 4, is another excellent depiction of the Batman. The lightning, the shadows, the fact that it's all red because of the illumination of the police sirens, it's just a fantastic piece of work. That should have been a splash page. Today, that would have been. Because yeah. today Nightfall would have been 400 issues long, not just 64. All of them would have been splash And all pages. of them would have been splash pages, yeah. Um, Bray Fogel was a fantastic draftsman, and some of his panel work as pieces of art in their own right, without ever forgetting that they're telling a narrative story. Page 11, panel 5. I really like Batman's night vision lenses. I love the sound as well. Dick. And he just presses the side of his face, like Cyclops' visor. Dick. And yeah. then just come down over his face. They're pretty cool. Exhibit B from this issue, page 16, panel 4. Batman crashing through a window. All scalloped cape and pointed ears. Brilliant. Magnifico. Uh, the novel by Denny O'Neill, the climax of the story plays out exactly as it was in the comic book, only with different characters. Zars has hold of a hostage, not Montoya, and another hostage distracts him long enough for Batman to take him down. This is all part of the novel showing that Batman's breakdown is slowing him down and having him second-guess himself. All character material set up in earlier issues of the comic. Also, the novel has Batman wanted by the police at this point due to Bane killing prostitutes and carving a bat symbol on them. Again, not something that's in the comics. Adding an extra level of tension to the scenes in the book. Here, the police are still on Batman's side, even when he beats Zars within an inch of his life. In fact, this is the best issue yet in terms of showing how much Bruce Wayne is cracking up. What do you think, Michael? Do you know that the Zars backwards is Zars? Yeah, it's palindrome. I palindrome, I. Another There Might Be Giants reference, though, for Michael Bailey. Also in this issue, what's going on with Zaz's eyes? He's always had, like, black squinty eyes, Mr. Zaz. The, the triangles are, like, go all the way off his head. Yeah, they, they, they do. I mean, there's artistic licence, and then there's, you know, that does look a bit strange. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's a bit warped. Let's face it, if you had eyes like that, you'd be strange as well, wouldn't you? You'd like, be able to poke them from behind. <laughs> I think it's just meant to be his eyebrows. All oh, right, it's kind of got Spock eyebrows going on there. But they're attached to his eyes. Yes. Yeah, I can't defend that. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. It looked cool. Yeah. But you know, in real life, it just wouldn't work, would it? Not really. <laughs> uh, page five, panel four is a great expression. On whose face, Batman? Uh... Yeah. Well, it does look like he's he's got the bottom half of his mask. We normally see his face, does it? It looks like a complete mask, though, and you just see his teeth in the darkness. It's brilliant. Batman works best in the rain. God damn Batman! Christian. God damn Batman! Do you think Christian Bale will say that in the next film? I'm the goddamn Batman! <coughs> Swear to me! I can't do that without hurting my throat. Let's just be. Uh, let's just hope there isn't a Robin in it. We're through professionally! <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me. Wouldn't cutting your tongue like Zaz does though kill you or something? He's not cutting his tongue. He kind of is. Is he not licking the blood off the knife of the person well, he just killed? Look at his tongue. Yeah, but yeah. look, the blade is facing the other way. He's okay. licking the dull end of the blade. He's he's licking the blood off the person he's just killed. Which, okay. let's face it, not terribly hygienic. Let's be honest. Uh, he's, he better hope that that cop doesn't have any <laughs> blood diseases, <laughs> doesn't he? 
Yeah. Otherwise, we'd be queuing up Peter Griffin to come and sing the You've Got Aids song. <laughs> also, how did Batman smash through the window at the... Yeah. Wasn't he always already inside the building? Yes, he's already inside the building, but aren't they in a build in a room in the building? Like, you go to school, you have windows inside a building, don't you? Yeah, well, that's outside. Maybe he snuck back out. Okay. Just so he can make a dramatic <laughs> entrance. God damn, <laughs> I, I am know. cool. Yeah. I'm going to show everybody how cool I am. I'm going to go back out the building and jump through the window. Um, well, I'm trying to find a way of arguing with you, but the artwork doesn't make it clear as to whether he does leap in from inside the building or outside. I mean, presumably the library isn't right at the edge of the building yeah, because otherwise the police could have come in. Well. Yeah, he is, he is using his grapple, yeah. I, 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 it's cool. <laughs> look at the prettiness. Look at the prettiness and forget the vacuity. Okay. Forget the mistake. Look at the pretty. Right. Because let's face it, that's Kim Kardashian's built her entire career on that. Look at the pretty. Don't think too much. What pretty? Look at the pretty. I don't think Kim Kardashian's. What is this all? Look at I don't think Kim Kardashian's pretty at all. Advert for Man of Steel. Man of Steel. Adventures of Superman 500 again. Black and white. The letters page of this issue is all about the 64 page one shot something seduction of the gun. Right. Which was written by somebody who had lost somebody who had been shot. And uh, it's a very interesting letters page. Nightfall continues in Detective Comics 660 from late May 1993. The cover this time is by Sam Keith, not by Kelly Jones. And has Robin tied up in a bondage-esque manner while Bane and Killer Croc approach him. Um, Sam Keith looks a bit like Kelly Jones, so it's a good substitution, I suppose. It's a bit poor, that cover. Do you not like that cover? Especially Robin, though. Robin's got huge biceps Mm. on that picture. Given that he's only supposed to be the same age as you in this story. I just don't like Robin. I I quite like Killer Croc and Bane. Yeah, Killer Croc's more bestial on the cover than he is in the actual storyline, in the actual issue. Anyway, the story (laughs) this time is called Crocodile Tears. It's by Chuck Dixon and penciled by Jim Ballant, not by Norm Bray Fogel. It's inked by Scott Hanna, Adrian Roy coloured it, John Costanza lettered it, and Scott Peterson, Dennis O'Neill were the editors. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Finger. Bill Finger Finger, yes. So the story continues. Down in the sewers, Killer Croc leaps for a small rat after a quick recap for the readers, telling us that the police found him heavily beaten and refuses to say who did it. He drops the rat and screams Bane's name. Bane! Outside, Bane and his crew decide to have a little get-together, where Bane tells them about his plan of testing Batman against all the escaped inmates until he finally is ready to break him, all while Robin watches from under an elevated train track. He tries to contact Batman, but he's lying dazed on the roof of the sc- uh, girls' school with the police arresting Zaz. Over at some place elsewhere. <laughs> Over at an elsewhere place. Yes. Mr. Detweiler, attorney at law, awakens to the ventriloquist and Socko sitting at the foot of his bed. Socko! <laughs> Socko asks where they took Scarface, and after, after the ventriloquist was arrested. After he refuses, ventriloquist pulls a gun out. Can I just point out that at this point, the ventriloquist and Sock has Socko say, Darned if you do, darned if you don't. <laughs> That's Sock humour. <laughs> That's so 
funny. <laughs> Did you not think that was funny? I get it. Darn used to darn socks. Okay. When you have holes in, when you fix them, it's called darning socks. Okay. <laughs> That's sock you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really shouldn't have found that as funny as I did. But I did. So, what can you do? That's sock humour for you. That's sock humour counsellor. Dr. Simpson Flanders, on another chat show, details that all this panic in the streets of London, I mean Gotham... Panic in the streets of Gotham... ...is making the insane feel insecure, and that the citizens of Gotham should make them feel more comfortable. What, the insane people? Yeah. Simpson Flanders is a bonehead, isn't he? Bane splits from his pals and leaves via a passing train. Robin. He doesn't pay at this point, you should point out. He doesn't pay to get on no, the train like, like normal people do. He jumps on it. He jumps on the roof. That's commitment. Yeah, I think he's been watching too many old westerns, to be honest with you. Robin follows, and when they hit a tunnel, Bane vanishes, only to appear behind Robin. Whilst recovering in an alley, Batman is snuck upon by Detective Bullock. He mentions he can't find Robin, and Bullock says he'll be fine as Batman disappears into the darkness. Into the night. Robin then finds himself in the sewers, blindfolded and with Bane behind him. Not fine. No, not good at all. Being blindfolded by a big, burly, muscular man (laughs) dressed in leather wearing a gimp mask. Not what I would call a fun place to be. Not as bad as the KGB star comedian, I suppose. The KGB beast. Do you think he was a bit leather fetish? What he was wearing in that Night of the Beasts. Uh, Robin tries to fight Bane, but he grabs his foot and he hangs over a waterfall. He throws Robin back down onto a bridge where they stand, and he hears someone coming and disappears. Robin hears breathing, and then is unmasked by Killer Croc, who asks for Bane. Bane then jumps from a pipe and onto Croc, and then throws him to the side and threatens to kill him. Croc then destroys Bane's venom injector thinger. And knowing that he'll lose no matter who wins, Robin cuts himself loose, whilst Croc beats seven kinds of crap out of Bane. But he then turns around and breaks Croc's arms again. Suddenly, the bridge collapses into the rushing sewers below, leaving Robin to be pushed along by the current. Robin to Batman on closed channel. Batman, if you can hear this, I'm in the city sewer. Bane and Killer Croc are duking it out down here, and I'm stuck in the middle. Batman, great. Whichever sicko wins this contest, I lose. Whoa, what's that noise? You'll pay for breaking my arms. You're in my world now, Bane. I will swim out of here, freak. Your corpse will float to the East River. Bane's not kidding. It's high tide about now, and here it comes. Um, that's a, a popular trick in comic book writing, isn't it? If you want to establish someone as being the baddest of all the bad, you have them beat up on a previous bat villain who was the baddest of the bad. Because yeah. if you remember when we read Detective 526 last week, Killer Croc was the baddest of the bad. Yeah. And they'd established this by having him kill people like the squid. Now, maybe the squid <laughs> wasn't the baddest of the bad, but the point that I'm trying to make is that it's a shorthand way of introducing your new character. And if you can beat up Killer Croc... Yeah. Well, you know, he must be quite a tough guy. Oh, yeah. But and I just wouldn't mask. be able to take that gimp mask seriously. <laughs> well, that's just me. Dude, you got a whip that comes along with that. <laughs> yeah, spent most of your life in prison. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Uh, Jim Ballant 
um, isn't quite as good an artist as Bray Fogel in this season. It's not that Jim Ballant isn't good. He is, although he would give Catwoman perfectly perpendicular boobs. Um, but Bray Fogel's layouts and composition are simply fantastic. That being said, the panel of Crocs women on page 15 where the camera, for want of a better word, is underneath Croc and looking up from underneath as he swims. He's pretty damn good. Mm. I like that panel. See, I prefer this art. Do you? Yeah, it's less stylized and cartoony. And it may Do just you think Brett Fogel's cartoony? A bit, yeah. Do you? Mm. But were, I think that with a story like this, the art should be less cartoony and more detailed like that. Do you? Mm. Okay, fair enough. To each their own, I suppose. Uh, Croc looks quite a bit different now from how he was depicted in Detective 526 last week. Here he's more of just a scaly man. Hmm. A bit like the lizard rather than an actual crocodile. Although, in his origin last week it was given that he was just a bloke with a skin disease, wasn't it? Hmm. Um, This is very much a solo Robin tale. Batman's burly in this. Chuck Dixon was a masterful Robin writer. And, in fact, he was the master of the movie as comics writing for, for ages. His run on Nightwing with Scott McDaniel is still one of my favourite comic book runs of all time. Um, some of the Dixon stuff after that was still good, but it was never as good once Scott McDaniel had left. His hyperkinetic art suited Dixon's fast-paced script perfectly. The two panels on the top of page 12 were used as an example of different inking styles on the back page of a DC comic. I can't remember who else did the inks, but it was very interesting to look at how an inker can change the look of the art. Like how Robin uses his spiked art to get free. I forgot that that was a throwing star. Is it not like Superman's? It's not like that S from Superman 2, no. (laughs) That was a minor inconvenience, but that's what it was supposed to be. Oh, well, it worked. <laughs> um, but Robin's art, it is established in one of the Robin miniseries. That yeah. it is a ch- the throw-it star. Okay. He can throw it and embed it in people's thighs and, you know, wound them. Do you think Batman's bat is like that as well? I don't think Batman's bat's like that, no. To be honest with you, I think that would be silly. Um, good cliffhanger. Again, or, well, as far as I am in the novel, this doesn't happen at all. It is in the radio adaptation, though. Uh, do you have any thoughts on chapter four well, of this 19-part epic? What do I did it make it 20? Um, on page 12, panel two. Yes. Maybe Batman's angry that Bullock has snuck up on Batman and isn't really saying Bullock at all. What do you think he's saying? Bollocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear me. Well, we hope you enjoyed that, the first four parts of Nightfall. Next week, we will be doing the next four parts of Nightfall, which include Batman 494, Detective Comics 661, Batman 495, and Detective Comics 692. Or 662, sorry, messing up my numbering system. But we will leave you with this little teaser. As I mentioned at the top of the show, DC had a series of house adverts running through their line where they would plug the Nightfall storyline with a pithy little log line. The one for the next chapter, Nightfall Part 5. The Batman is reeling. Robin is drowning in the sewers under Gotham. Cornelius Sturk is stealing hearts, literally. Mayor Kroll wants Commissioner Gordon replaced. The Scarecrow hunts the Joker. Sturk and Scarecrow are the masters of fear. But they never met Babe. Nightfall, part five. Side effects may include that. <laughs> <laughs> may include erectile dysfunction. 
Did you hear that from? I don't know, I'd just be erectile dysfunction. Is um, something you're not telling us for all these years of reading comics? No, yeah, reading comics affects you sexually. Crap, I'm going to stop now. Allegedly. Uh, okay, we hope you enjoyed that. We would love to hear your thoughts on the Nightfall storyline. If you have any particular memories of it, what you were doing, where you were doing, who you were doing. If you want to uh, what time that. exactly? Uh, what time and date exactly that you were doing it. If you want to drop us feedback, the little thing at the end is coming up. But we have a forum and we have email and we have Facebook. And if you want to tell us, uh, and also mention if you want us to do Night Quest and Night's End, although Michael thinks we should just decide ourselves. I think we should do it. Do you? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, the plan at the moment is to cover Nightfall, and then Hey Kids Comics Couch Potato is coming your way in August, and then we'll see, we may go back and do Night's Quest and Night's End. What happens if we never plan that far ahead? Well, you've, you've picked to do Nightfall, so we're committed to doing this for the next five weeks at least. Yeah. Oh, epic! Told you, it'd be epic. We'll see you next week for more shiny, happy, podcasty goodness. Because everything else doesn't sing. We don't. We didn't sing much this week. No, you did. We should sing the Batman theme tune now. Batman. I only wish you all could have seen what Michael just did. That was quality entertainment. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Bye. Hey Kids Comics is And the Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do Production. Every Thursday, new episodes drop at aplayland.podomatic.com. You can join in the fun. We have a website where you can view the covers of the comics that we talk about www.haykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and the show can be emailed directly at haykidscomics at virginmedia.com If you're allergic to email, we also have a forum www.forumforgeeksalltheword.com We are also on Facebook. You can contact us using Hey Kids as the first name, Comics as the surname. The opinions of Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Andrew and Michael and no one else because no one else would be dumb enough to have those opinions. The music and clips used in the show are copyright, their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their shit. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.